Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember the story story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. <laughs> Goodness me, episode 15 of the Podclarks. Welcome everybody. Woohoo, welcome. We are back with another day, another story, another tale. So, Stevie, take it away. Well, I'm so pleased to be back. Does anyone else think that these months go like weeks or days or Zipping. hours? Yeah. Mm. I um... can't believe it. Every time we're like, we must, we must meet up and re-record and the fact that because we do it roughly monthly i mean we do do it monthly (laughs) means that we only do 12 in a year which doesn't sound like much 12 in a whole year and yet it feels like we are kind of always doing this always doing (laughs) so (laughs) big shout out to our editor aka tommy who uh, a lot of work to do i was listening to episode 14 dear listener and if you haven't you have to listen to it because it's just so beautifully put together (laughs) simply unmissable well no it's just great really nice uh anyway Mm, that's enough of blowing our own trumpet (laughs) Um, so this this little series of anecdotes about my life, you'll if you've been following from episode one, you know that I've grown up. I've been the best paperboy in Surrey. I've been off to Scotland to study forestry, off to Zambia to teach forestry. I've been back to UK, fallen in love, gone to the Philippines, got engaged, been out to Sudan to set up a refugee camp. And now I'm back in my hometown of Surrey with a decision to make. Ooh. That decision is what am I going to do with my life? I'm, I'm engaged... But uh, what should we do together? And I had two options. And one of them was to um, be a teacher because I'd been a teacher in Zambia and I liked it and I'd enjoyed it. So before that last little chapter of my life, when I went off to Sudan for three or four weeks, I'd had an interview with a school in Godalming and um, to be a teacher, their private school. And when I was in the Sudan, I suddenly realised that being a teacher in Godalming was probably not what I wanted to do because the organisation that I was working with out in Sudan, um, having this new work with refugees from Ethiopia, needed somebody to work in their uh, UK head office in the Midlands. So I'd got the, the teaching idea in Godalming where I'd grown up, which had all the benefits of familiarity but was unaffordable because houses were massively expensive, um, or the excitement of a new opportunity of moving to the Midlands to do uh, this refugee work. But it was all new and we didn't have any contacts there and we were getting married. You know that thing, you should never do too many stressful things at one time, like get, <laughs> get married, move mm. house and get a new job. It was all of that in one. So anyway, I had decided in Sudan that I didn't want to go teaching, thank you very much. But I'd had to say before I left to the headmaster that I would accept the job if he offered it and because I knew I was going to be away. Anyway, while I was in the Sudan, um, the very delightful uh, Scottish missionary from the Western Islands of Scotland, which is about as far away from Khartoum culturally and geographically as you can imagine, but who ran the guest house that I was staying in, she came to me one morning and she said... Steve, Stephen? Oh, no, I won't try the Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, just imagine a lovely lady with a beautifully lilting Scottish Western Islands accent saying, um, Stephen, I've got some very bad news for you. And in those days, because we didn't have email and everything, um, she had received a telex. And because telexes, by their nature, had to be short, 
she'd received a message from my boss who'd heard a message from Sarah who'd had a message from the headmaster and the message was tell Stephen he didn't get the job <laughs> uh, <laughs> just that so she so, was, good well she was absolutely she expected me to be devastated I was cheering and running around the place <laughs> like I was so happy because 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 that really defined my my future in a way and it's a, it was a bit of a sliding doors moment you know if they'd decided that I had been suitable, then we definitely wouldn't be sitting here now, my friends. Mm. Mm, interesting. So back to Godalming, heading off to the Midlands, which I'll come back to at the end. But I thought um, this would be a good opportunity just to indulge myself and dip into a few car stories. Um, <laughs> because I tell you what, because cars are featured. We had some visitors out here this week and they in France and they drove all the way from Calais 11 hours in a Morris Minor in 36 degrees heat. And it was just such a delight. Probably not for them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, they were made of stern stuff. And, um, (laughs) and, uh, but to have a, one of my childhood cars on the drive out here in France was, was such an excitement. I thought I'd just, well, I'd kick off by asking you what cars you remember from our family as we were growing up, if any. Because mm. um, we had a load of different cars. I would, I would say my memory of our cars um, paints an incorrect picture of our upbringing because <laughs> the, the cars I remember is a, a convertible Mazda, which was a, a red sports car which sat in the driveway at one point, and two Jaguars. <laughs> Although the, oh, the other one that I really remember was the blue Honda with the with the alarm the, with the alarm that went off all the time, all the time. and, and the, alarm the alarm was the horn. Was the horn. I'm so sorry, I jumped in on your story. No, 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 no. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, the alarm was the horn, so it just went <laughs> me, 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 as if someone me. was really angry but quite rhythmically talented at the same time. And if it went off, it was just there was it was. Yeah, it was awful. Penetrating. Awful. I, I mean, to be fair, it was in the early days of alarm systems, it was quite a clever idea, you know. Very, you know, very, it was very effective. It was very loud. It was just that it was so temperamental that quite often there would be no dodgy activity happening and the alarm would be going off. <laughs> I think that's also the car that you ended up selling for £5, even though it had something like £20 worth of fuel in it at the time because it was so close to the next life that it needed just to be gone. Exactly that. I, I, I remember it as part of the publicity marketing tool was saying it includes £20 worth of petrol. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> what's not to love about buying that car? I yeah. think all of our cars have have like, in my memory, have good stories attached to them. Distinct personalities. The, yeah, because the Mazda, which was, which was just, as Tommy says, like an absolutely hilarious car for a family of four to even think about kind of being part of and and also as you say feels not representative of of necessarily how we grew up but the bit I remember is because it was for mum's birthday and it was sort of it was a surprise and that dad had parked outside our house with the roof down and a lovely bunch of flowers in it and what we were going to do was give mum um I think a mini Mazda and then the keys a little die cast model of a Mazda yeah that's right Yeah. yeah And then, so we went, so we sort of did that. We went upstairs, happy birthday, happy birthday, gave her the presents. And we could look outside the the window in your bedroom to see it down on the road. And when we did, the flowers had gone. They'd been stolen. And it can't have been more than sort of 15 minutes. minutes, Well, 15 minutes, five at most. 15 at most, yeah. It was, uh, you know, 
And then and then there was obviously the Hondas we've talked about. I remember the one with the car phone. I can't remember what type of car it was. We had oh, a car yeah. with a car phone. That was a Mercedes, wasn't it? And that was just... I remember that being extraordinary, that it was such a chunky thing it sort of where yeah. the handbrake lives but you could i had that saved in my mobile for a while you could just like couldn't get hold of anyone you'd try the car phone and see if somebody was driving around yeah you know, i've forgotten it actually worked yeah it did didn't it it had yeah. a sim card and everything yeah i can yeah. i can remember quite viscerally the feeling of it like clicking into its base because it was so uh, it chunky. was so like yeah chunky but also i guess because it was part of a car it had to be it wasn't like a normal mm. phone that would just sit on it and bumble it would like bumble around if it was a normal phone and then of course there was pob pob, pob. Oh. That for a while? so cuz i learned to drive on a nissan micra um which we which we had which was um kind of you know small and old car to mm. you know do sort of all those run around trips on and then I think that car did that car get burnt? Yeah, it did. You're right. It got stolen, driven to the middle of a golf course, and set set on fire with the uh, in the middle of the golf course. Yeah. And then um, it was replaced with this blue. Um, was it a mini metro? It was a mini and, metro. Yeah. Uh, and the number plate ended in POB, so it was just affectionately known as POB. And then when I went off up to university, there was certainly one year where I took it with me. Um, and that, I mean, that was my, it was, that's the car that I really remember, like, just feeling loads of freedom with, because I could drive and just see all my friends, like, you know, as and when, which was great. Mm. And then, um, I left it, at one point I left it in Hull when I went somewhere else, and when I came back to Hull, somebody had tried to hotwire it, um, and they'd like <laughs> they clearly hadn't been successful, but they pulled all of the all of the wires out, and it was a yeah. It was like about twenty mm. years old. It was ridiculous to try it and steal it. It was so old, but I think there were quite a lot of my friends who, um, at the time, it was just it was great, like getting pob and just like run around. <laughs> oh, just in brackets, you know that pob is we we have a series of three measuring spoons here in our kitchen. <laughs> and Matt's had a lot of trouble trying to remember which order they went in, big, small. Anyway, she remembers them pink, orange, blue because of pop. She remembers that the pink is the small oh. one, orange is the middle-sized one, and blue is the big one. So she just... I, I can't quite remember why she needs to know it, but pop is a, still lives on to this oh, day. That's amazing. I bet it's a bread recipe thing. It will be like... It is. Something to do with that. Oh, that's so nice. So you might, you might remember that one of the things I first noticed about Matt's when we before we started sparking, was that she was driving a Morris Minor post office van. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you... I'm just looking for a picture of it, but it, they were... The, the post office used the Morris Miners for delivery and all, all sorts, and then they sold them off. So she was driving this green Morris Minor van, and I thought, my word, that's a nice car. And then I saw who was driving, and I thought, <laughs> my word. <laughs> and um, is that is that a Morris Traveller, or is it a different no, thing? No, it's not. A Morris Traveller, we, we did have a Morris Traveller. In fact, I do have a picture of our Morris Traveller, uh, a very cool one. Open your, it, open your the, imagination, uh, from podcast the inside. listeners. Now, that is, that is just Podclock, inside a Morris Traveller. Now, that uh, is a very a little cute squidgy photo baby. that I haven't yeah. seen before. So we'll put that on our Instagram. Yeah, so it's a picture of inside of the dashboard of a Morris Minor with Jess uh, in a baby seat smiling her head off so happy to be but that 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 um travel is the one with the wood down the sides it's a, it's like a van it's an estate mm. but it's got wood down the sides and the wood always rots and uh, we bought it off a of vicar and actually it was rotten to pieces everywhere so we had to get rid of it pretty quickly but um uh, can I just but... ask a quick side question yeah 
just just on the subject of us and cars and and everything, which is that my main memory is that we we never really had any car for longer than a year. <laughs> And I don't I know why that was. Yeah, I was going to ask <laughs> why was that. <laughs> I think I think mostly our cars were on the limit of something or other, and they were, <laughs> I, I, I guess, cheap because um, we didn't mm. seem to have a lot of money. I mean, I could never understand why people would spend thousands and thousands on a car, but I sort of do now because they don't break down, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is helpful. Although I'd say overall, in the overall sort of life that we've led, we've had very, very few catastrophic breakdowns um even though we 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 drove a whole series of crazily old cars um with all sorts of different things we did get a lift from the police once from a breakdown i remember that then we had that car that didn't work in the rain that was the yeah. problem <laughs> it's and, quite uh, a big problem <laughs> yeah and, 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 and i don't going, remember this no i think you're a bit too young but when, when we went to down to london one time uh, it was tipping it down on the motorway and it just it didn't like the rain it stopped and the, and the police came to sort of see what was going on and they took they took i guess you two and mutts to the next service station and i or did we all get in i can't remember now but uh, anyway it, it they, they gave us a lift which was exciting um but anyway back, anyway. To, back to morris miners because that i i with my friend andrew the phony friend uh, had 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 several of these cars when we were teenagers and some of these tales I may have told before, but there's, there's a half a dozen of them that around this beautiful car. And uh, it was, the car was designed by, um, by an Italian designer in the 50s. And um, we had the second version of it, which they, in those days they didn't know how to make curved glass. So the windscreen, which would normally want to be curved, was in two flat bits. So it, was, it had a split down the middle, and that's what they used to call a split windscreen Morris Minor, because they, they had to have make the, the glass uh, flat. And um, so we had the split windscreen ones, which also had the little trafficators that come out on the side when you want to go left or right. The little bar would flip up instead of a flashing light on the back. And this was very hard to see and quite dangerous, really, but, but very sort of very exciting. Novel. Yeah, and just going back to the car with the telephone in it, the the Mercedes. Um, years before that, uh, Andrew and I, our first Morris Minor, and uh, we we fitted in it um, a, a telephone on the on the um, bit where the gear stick or handbrake lives, as you said before, Jay. Um, we put this big old black telephone, if you can imagine, it, with a huge receiver sitting and bolted down to the front of the car. And we'd wired it so you had to dial the right number on the on the telephone before you could start the ignition. It was like an early security <laughs> device, if you like. Because <laughs> we, we knew some people in the telephone industry and they have these things that are called uniselectors, which um, I don't know if you can imagine it, but it, it clicks around. If you dial a seven, it goes click, seven clicks, click, 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 click. And each time it makes different electrical connections. So I think, let's say the number was three, five, seven. You dial three, then five, then seven. And as it got to the, seven, the end of the seven, it would connect the two bits of um, the ignition to make the lights come on. And um, if you got the wrong number, it would, just wouldn't work. So this was That's all so great. That's so clever. It is uh, so clever. Well, it was, it was very clever on lots of levels. I mean, it was Andrew's idea. But the, the, what was so interesting about it was, I mean, mobile phones were not even a distant dream. Nobody had even thought of them. But if you're in traffic, you could, and we used to do this a lot, you used to just pick up, pick up the receiver and just sort of uh, aim as if you were chatting on the phone to somebody, which was... I mean, you can't quite imagine what that was like well, in those days, but it would yeah. it'd be... Um, Make people look twice. Yeah. The only problem was, if you went over a big bump, this thing that connected the two things together, 
um, when you turn the ignition off, uh, it sort of reset to zero. And if you went over a bump, it kind of just slightly separated for a second, which meant it thought the ignition was being turned off and it reset to zero. So you would then be left with no power and no driver. Quickly dialing. Just... <laughs> yeah, seven. Yeah. What, what was that number again? <laughs> yeah. But the other great thing about it was I was always being stopped by the police. And there was, it always was distraction from the reason they'd stop me. Um, because they'd look in and they'd say, what is that? I said, oh, it's a security device. That's a security <laughs> device. That's what it is. And they'd say, go on, you're having a laugh. And I'd show them. And then they'd be so impressed, they'd send you on your way without, uh, <laughs> without remembering that you were missing a tail light or something like that. Yeah. And one, one, one time I was stopped by a policeman uh, and I had, um, I, I'd been on a sort of, semi-date uh with a woman who was sitting in the passenger seat and um we were coming home and and it was dark and this policeman shone a torch in my face as a driver which is a crazy thing to do Mm. so I, i couldn't see anything so i stopped and he came out and um and at that time there was a very sort of popular tv program called dixon of doc green which was about a sort of community bobby who had always got the best interests of everybody at heart and went around and solved the crimes and, you know, let, told the nuisance people. Yeah, anyway, he was just an all-round good egg and it was called um, Pete, uh, Dixon of Doc Green. Well, this chap, he came around, he was a very, very officious um, policeman and he got his badge in and he was PC Dixon. And we couldn't believe this and, and my companion was just kind of really, really sniggering and saying... And she was humming the signature tune <laughs> to, to the television programme. So I was kind of like, oh, trying try to keep a straight face. And that was one of the times when we had... I had a share in three three of these Morris Miners and um, they were all similar on the inside but different on the outside or different cars. And I'd, I'd just temporarily forgotten which car I, I was using. And so he... His first question was, what's the number plate, you see? So what's the registration number? So I gave him the wrong registration number because I thought I was in the other car. So that was the first suspicious thing. Mm. And he didn't say anything. He said, and what have you got in the boot? And I said, oh, I think it's a a socket set and a pair of overalls. And so he went and looked in the boot and there was like um, some groceries and, um, I don't know, some tissues and nothing (laughs) like a socket set. So so then he said, would you turn the car off, please? And because we were always swapping these cars around, we didn't always have the right keys for the particular car. So anyway, I'd hot-wired it, which is very easy on a Morris Minor. You, you, take, <laughs> you take the fuse out under the bonnet and just move it up and slot it in the car starts. So um, if you haven't got a tele- telephone um, security system. Well, of so, course. So then I had to open the bonnet and take a fuse out to stop the car. So he was... He was anyway, in the end... Even though I was very suspicious, he said, well, you come, you come and take your documents into the police station. I'm going to let you go now. But he was just horrible throughout. And meanwhile, my colleague was humming and sniggering. At the, it was just a very funny experience. <laughs> um, but what was even funnier was when I went to the police station two days later with the documents, would you believe it? It was PC Dixon who was behind the desk, which mm. was so, so unlikely. And, He's the only uh, policeman in town. Well, he wasn't. That was the funny thing. But when he saw the document that I'd taken, given by the issuing traffic officer, he saw it was his signature. And he said, oh, he said it was me that stopped you. I said, yes, I know it was. PC. <laughs> and, and he said, yes, sir. But it wasn't you driving, was it? What? Anyway, anyway, he was he was absolutely adamant I hadn't been driving. And then I realised he was probably taking more notice of my companion than he was of me. But anyway, uh-huh. 
But I got away with oh. it. I got away with it. I've never been stopped by the police as a driver. No, oh. me neither. That's because I don't drive. That's the key way to not get stopped. Not yet, anyway. So another time, uh, driving along with this merry one of these many cars, and uh, the bonnet on a Morris is sort of very elegantly curved, and um, it flew up, uh, so it blocks the view of the windscreen. I was driving along a country road, and the hinges on those bonnets are very. They're not, they're not very strong. They're not designed to take any stress, really. And very quickly, they snapped. And so this bonnet, this curved bit of metal, huge bit of metal, flew up above the car. And um, I watched it in my rearview mirror. It sailed like a kite. It was beautiful. It was absolutely something gorgeous about it. It sailed elegantly down and floated down and landed fairly and squarely on the road some distance, about, distance behind me. Well, now, the car behind me uh, was sort of going slow enough and far far enough behind me to stop without hitting it. He just stopped and the, the bonnet was in the road and the car was, was in front of it. But the car behind that car was driving too fast and too close to that car and ran into the back of him. So, so the question then arose, and I ask you what your opinion is, whose fault is that accident? The person at the back who drove into them, always. It's, it's always the fault, yeah. If you don't leave... Mm. You should leave enough space that you can stop. But don't you think that if my bonnet hadn't flown off in the first place... Yeah, of course, happened. but that's why you leave enough space that you can stop, because you can't predict. Yeah. I like, think what if, if something the... ran out in front of the road? <laughs> or... If the first car had hit your bonnet, maybe that would have been your fault. But the second car, that is... 100% on them for not being a safe driver and not observing the road. Can you tell I've done my theory test recently? <laughs> <laughs> I can, and I'm very grateful you have because it supports my case. I mean, there was a sort of three-way conversation on the road between the drivers, and, uh, of course, uh, they weren't best pleased because both their cars were damaged. Mm-hmm. But in the end, we decided not to involve the insurance company and to pay the the repairs, split it three ways. So, but I was just a, a young man. I didn't have any sort of sort of strength or power to argue it. But anyway, I'm glad you've agreed with me. That's that's it. Do you remember? Do you remember when somebody drove into the back of um, me when I was coming home? Here in France. Stratford? Oh, no, oh, oh, oh. well, there, there was that one, but, but that that. <laughs> so this a habit was, of it. <laughs> no, I think I was. I think I was seventeen, and I hadn't long passed my test. Oh. Um, and I was driving on that uh, dual carriageway between sort of Stratford and Warwickshire, yeah. and for some reason the traffic had all stopped. Um, and there, you know, there's quite a big queue. So I and I saw it, and I sort of slowed down and stopped. And the next thing I knew, the the person Kadunk. behind me, he was quite a big, um, mm. like truck, just obviously hadn't noticed that everybody else was slowing down and stopping and just went right right into the back of me and yeah and it was it was it was such a kind of because I was driving by myself as well and I remember feeling so like I knew what you had to do was like get out of the car but also I didn't really know what what to Mm. do and I my main memory is that the person in the like the van or the truck or whatever it was um they were just like they were just like, oh, it's fine. It's no, you're fine. You're good. It's all fine. It's fine. It's fine. And I just had no idea what you were supposed to really do mm-hmm. and was obviously a bit shocked and a bit scared. And so yeah, I just definitely. kind of yeah. got back into the car. Um, but I ended up having quite bad whiplash from you it. You did, I remember with, now. Um, 
when it went to the doctor and they were, and they were sort of like, yeah, just exactly what happens when you sort of get jolted forward. And mm-hmm. I don't think the car was actually noticeably damaged, but, but I guess, yeah, the bumper had done its job. But it was just, mm. it was such a funny, it was just one of those times where you think like, I think they just clocked that I obviously was didn't mm. was young and didn't really know what I was doing and just kind mm. of went yeah it's Brushed fine it's fine way. it's fine yeah I think that must have been the Nissan Micra I, it I, was I guess. yeah yeah it mm. was and then there's all sorts of all sorts of tales about repairing these cars and I know you've heard this before but I'm just going to share it with the with the global public mm. um, so I mean changing the engine. In a Morris, you just need four tools, basically a couple of spanners, a screw and a screwdriver, and, and another spanner. So three spanners, I suppose, and a screwdriver. <laughs> and uh, it's not a difficult job, really, but it's heavy, and there's lots of things to undo. So it does take quite a long time. And in my dad's garage, where we used to live, uh, he had a a beam, some beams running across left to right above uh, above the top, and that was a good place to put a thing called a block and tackle. Now, block and tackle is a is a system of pulleys and chains that makes it easy to lift heavy things. So you'd sling it over the beam, and it had a hook that you'd put on sort of um, uh, on a some sort of cradle that would lift the engine. And then it had a looped chain that you pulled on this looped chain, and it was very easy. You just pull it very easy, and the, the engine lifts up, which you couldn't do on your own. So it's like a mechanical device, really. And that is a source of two great stories about Morris Miners because we're changing the engine in one of them. And uh, I've done this all, changed the engine, put it all back together again, tightened everything up and went to drive the car car out of the garage. And by some extraordinary fluke or lack of attention to detail, the looped thing that you pull on, and I'd been merrily pulling on to lift it, had got underneath the engine. It was right round underneath the engine. In other words, there was no way you could could oh. get the the loop oh, out. So it's great thick it's chain. It's all screwed in, and and like the, the only way to get the chain out from where it was was to take the engine out again. Which was <laughs> oh no! So annoying. Oh no! That makes me think of like building a Lego set and and putting the wrong brick in at the beginning and realizing at the end you have to. Like, oh, no. There's no way of doing it except oh, that, destroying it. That's the thing that's happened. I guess. Oh, many times, I yes. Know, I, was, I was like, that story comes with a very real sense of despair. <laughs> no, it's the same feeling. You think, how could I be so stupid? Anyway. So the, <laughs> other, the other time, the same situation, changing the engine in another Morris with the block and tackle over the beam. And uh, I, I'd got the weight off the engine. I was just taking the weight to it. And and suddenly got a, I got a mains electric shock from the from the car door, which I, I touched. And went, so... I thought, what? Anyway, it took me quite a while to work out that the chain that was going over the top of the beam to support the engine and pull it up, running along the top of the beam was an electrical cable, which is completely hidden. You couldn't see it from underneath, but it would, somebody had mm. tacked it along. So as, as it took the weight, the chain cut into the, into the cable and connected with the live wire and made the whole Morris Minor alive electrified so which makes sort of di- a different spin on an electric car really doesn't it sort of, <laughs> yeah. the original electric morris minor an electrocutable car do you think was there any big danger in that having electric current and like a was if there was like a petrol tank or something like is there any kind of a main shock can kill you if you're wearing the wrong size of shoes or you know it, it depends mm. where the, where you're if i've been standing in a puddle of water for example we might not be discussing this today but fortunately I was wearing my rubber Wellington boots or something Um, and 
I guess there's a danger of sparks, especially if you're cutting into an electric cable and there being petrol fumes. So, yeah, all very, very mm. hazardous. Be careful out there. Don't, Don't try do this, this at home. home. What did you say? <laughs> did we just say that at the same time? Did. <laughs> at exactly the same time. Oh, um, great minds. Jeans will out. So then... <laughs> mean, me- meanwhile, I said something completely different at the same time. I can't remember what it was. Um, so the other thing is just about number plates. Uh, so we had a... When after... This is not with my friend now, but after we were married, um, we had for quite a long time a black Morris Minor, which we called Josephine, because her number plates or was XJO12, which is a lovely sort of looking number plate as you drive along. Um, and then another one we had was, was FF9834. And that, that car was very poor condition. And I, I thought, FF9834, I'm sure there's somebody whose initials are FF that will want to buy this car because of the number plates and change it onto a different one. And uh, this was before sort of personalised number plates was any th- anything like the thing it is today. Um, so I, I, got, you, I mean, I can't believe I'm telling you this, but I went down to the library and got Who's Who, which, if you know, is a big book of celebrities. Like the Yellow Pages? No, it's just of people who, have, who are celebrities or famous or rich or... I mean, <laughs> we would never be in it, but... Useful. It's, like... The prime ministers and politicians would all be in it. Anyway. With, like, uh, their details or just their names? A lot of details. Their sort of biography huh. and, you know, what's their... I mean, people aspire to being in Who's Who. They want to be mm. in it because it's a sort of a status symbol, really. Anyway, they're all alphabetical ordered. So I went, went through to the F. So I thought, these are people with money who might, yeah. who might like, to, like to buy a Genius. number plane. Good thinking. And uh, I, sent, oh, I must have sent off about 40 letters, I think. And what I discovered is there's a surname... A, a, a highfalutin surname that starts with two Fs. It's something like Filch or something. Oh. And I thought, oh, that's bound to be. The... Anyway, I wrote off to all these people, first-class stamps, um, picture of the car, number plate, not a single response. No. Nothing. Mm. It's a project that failed. But it had good ideas behind it. So. Yeah, great. I love, the, I love the thought behind that. Because it was such a sort of crummy car, we ended up cutting it into four pieces uh, with a with a with, an, with a big sort of metal cutter thing, because uh, we were, wanted to take it to the tip, and um, so we couldn't we couldn't get find any way of getting it to the tip. And you weren't really supposed to tip cars at the tip anyway. Uh, you're supposed to take it to a scrapyard. So this is when I was a teenager. I, I hasten to add, as if that makes any excuse for anything. <laughs> so we took we we cut it into four pieces. We could get two bits of this this car on the back of my boss's van, and we drove it to the tip late one night and threw them over the fence uh, into the into the tip um and then ran but then i'm not i'm not proud of this but then uh, very annoyingly my boss wanted his van back earlier than he'd said and so he had to take the other two bits in 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 daylight in opening hours because the van had to go back so anyway we we rocked up with the other two two quarters of this car sort of rather sheepishly and uh, the chap behind the gate said Oh, he said, we wondered when the other half of that car was going to turn up. (laughs) (laughs) So that was in the days when scrapyard runners were very sympathetic to teenagers, I think. It was was very good. So lots of exciting stories about cars. Um, And then you mentioned the Jaguars. There's this one, this picture here. This is a Daimler. Uh, This is us in France. Uh, It's like an old silver one with very bulbous like and two sets of headlights yeah i don't remember that no i don't actually remember that car looking at it 
that was one when we went to, when we bought it to France, and I sort of thought it might be worth more in France. So I put a for sale notice on it in French while we were in the campsite. And um, people, used, people used to go down all, all evening sort of looking at it. And there were lots of discussions and quite a lot of people were were British in that campsite because they mm. come to France on holiday like we had. And, um, and they're all sort of going, all making sort of deprecating comments about, oh, yeah, somebody's, <laughs> some chap's trying to flog that old Jaguar. God, what's he's got a hope sort of thing. So anyway, uh-huh. it was another project that failed. How, but, hey, how would yeah. we have got home if you'd sold it? <laughs> but we'd have found a way. <laughs> <laughs> My main memory of the Jaguars is that because they, they had those leather seats, they just used to make me feel so car sick. You didn't like them, did you? Yeah. No, I had. I got on so badly with that smell, which. You're a closet vegetarian. Well, clearly. <laughs> so that was uh, taking me back to Godalming and setting off to Royal Leamington Spa for the next adventure, and of course that really sets the scene for well, everything that you've experienced and we've experienced together. Uh, This would have been back in 1985. So, yeah, tune in next time for more excitement. Mm. I'm looking forward to hearing... I mean, not that I haven't been enjoying (laughs) hearing the story so far, but I'm I'm looking forward to hearing more details about stories when we were around and young because I'm kind of it's it's funny like my memory of us growing up is is sort of us being at home and knowing that you were sort of popping off to somewhere and then coming back but I feel like there's many an adventure that we had no idea was occurring Mm. while you were while you were off. Well, as I say every episode, the exciting bit is about to happen. So, you know, (laughs) you've got to listen in in case. But you're right. I mean, it's this is now the sort of the framework where we all spent, you know, 20 years living and uh, growing up. I include myself in that description. Great. Well, thanks for um, dropping by and sharing all your car stories. Yes. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Um, (laughs) Look forward to hearing all of the exciting um, stuff that is about to kick off in uh, next month's episode. Yeah. But in the meantime, if you've been listening, do um, jump onto wherever you're listening and give us a rating because we always appreciate that if you like the stories. And if you haven't been listening... Why haven't you been listening? Why have you not been listening? Tell all your friends that you should have been listening. Listen up. <laughs> We're so good at marketing. And tell us what you like and what you don't like so we can improve the product. Yeah. Do it. You heard it. Go forth and go. <laughs> it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me for one more month. <laughs> Bye.